Here's what's coming up on this week's show. Did you notice that, Cleb? I've, I've never noticed that before. Do you know what? I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to visualise the shop. Now, now, now I've told you that, you'll notice. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You'll never be able to unknow that now. The Beat. Welcome to The Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there. If you've discovered us for the very first time, hi, we're the podcast that helps small businesses grow by giving you a whole bunch of tips from experts who know a thing or two about helping small businesses grow. Whether you've listened to us for the first time or not, if you could do two things for us, that'll be great. Number one is make sure you click follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. And number two is leave us a review because that really helps to big us up in podcast land. Your favourite topic today, Claire? It certainly is all about chocolate. Oh, just even just saying the word makes my mouth water. I think we should have a little bit of a backstory here um, because I was in a shop locally to me um, probably about October, November time before Christmas. And I happened to notice this company um, selling chocolate. It's like display stand, this chocolate product. I thought, oh, that looks quite interesting. And then I happened to see it in various other shops sort of around while we were doing Christmas shopping and stuff like that. And you know how sometimes social media can be a bit creepy Mm -hmm. and and can uh, know your behaviour when you're not on social media and suddenly say, oh, you've been, yeah, how about, have you thought about sort of following these people? Uh, Instagram popped up and said, you might want to follow Tempered, the company who make the chocolate that I happened to have been noticing around. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I followed them and then discovered they they are actually based only 10 minutes away from where I live. It's all a sign. Best chocolate I've ever tasted, bar none. Uh, and then I bought you a, a bar as part of your Christmas present as well, didn't I? I know, it's so nice. It was so delicious, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, as we talk about it a bit later on, it is a very, you know, saturated market. There's chocolate everywhere, but there's chocolate and there's chocolate. And this is something special, I can assure you. But what was really brave... And I didn't share it, by the way, either. No, I'll bet you didn't. I didn't share mine either. But what was really brave... I was telling people how nice it was, but not actually giving them a what, bit to try. Oh, did you know? <laughs> do you know, so really funny. Nice. I you can't that. have any, it's mine. I said, oh, I've got to tell you about this, and then I put it back in the fridge. <laughs> Once I found out a little bit more about the company, what astounded me about this company is they looked huge in the store. They looked like they were up there with the, the, uh, the big chocolatiers. But they really were a tiny company, only a handful of them operating and running this company, and they've only been running for less than a year. Yeah, but they look like that, but I could not believe it when you told me they'd only been, yeah, out there for a year. So, incredible. So, what we're going to do now is delve a little bit deeper into finding out how they have become so successful in such a short space of time. So, we're going to be talking to them about how they've managed to stand out from an incredibly saturated market. Um, and what makes them indeed stand out from the crowd. This is the Big Little Business Show. Let's start off with a bit of context here because you're a small company, you're a young company, but to the outside world, you look like neither of those things. That would be a sort of pretty true assumption, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, well, we actually launched to the public in November 20. The the company or the, the concept was born probably two years prior to that in the discussions and actually getting everything into place. It was things things like, um, you know, sourcing our moulds, getting those made, getting them shipped over, um, having uh, just being able to get hold of packaging and things. That was really hard in the pandemic. So otherwise, I think we would have been a bit earlier, wouldn't we? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we were planning to do it the sort of early sort of April, May of 20. But it, as soon as the pandemic hit, we just suddenly 
got pushed back a good six months. But if people see you on the shelves, you look like a big and quite well-established company. How many of you are there? There's four of us. Um, so there's well, four, four and a half. <laughs> so there's uh, Colin and it's Colin and Rob. Um, they're brothers. It's their their baby. And then I came along um, as I'm their niece, and I came to do their photos and their website, and then got involved. And now it's partly mine because I loved it. Uh, and then Sonia, who's Rob's other half, um, she does uh, production and logistics. Um, and then uh, there are I call her my cousin-in-law, but she's not actually married. Um, but she does uh, social media. So four and a half of us. <laughs> That's so lovely. And you've all um, identified your own qualities and what you can bring to the table. It's it's lovely. Did that organically happen or was that something you decided to do? It, it was all organically happened. I think the roles fell into into the situation or how they, they sort of fell. Rob, Rob's very much a foodie sort of person. And we just had a discussion and he wanted to open a restaurant. And I sort of asked that I wasn't keen on a restaurant. Um, I think we'd also really spotted a gap in the market. So we have, we have an enormous extended family and uh, Christmas is always fun, buying stocking fillers and things. And something that we had kind of wanted was um, exciting flavours, but chunky. So a lot of the exciting flavours on the market before we arrived uh, of chocolate were those very thin. They're very, very nice. They're very shiny. They snap there, but they're they're thin and and they're not they're not stuff your face chocolates. And I think we really struggled to find what we were looking for, and that's kind of how Tempered started to become. So you know, out of those conversations, um, businesses wonderful things are born out of conversations of what you can't find. Um, <laughs> yes, that was going to be one of my questions about the kind of development of the idea. It is such a, a saturated market. It sounds to me like you started with the idea of doing something different rather than starting with the chocolate. You you kind of you started with well, we need to fix this significant chocolate problem and we need to fix it now rather than saying, should we make some chocolate? I love the idea of a significant chocolate problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I mean, Colin, you might have um, better thoughts on that because you were obviously I got involved a little bit later on. But my role was out there supplying independence, so I could see a lot was out in the market. A lot of the scenarios have been played out. The bean, the bean to what is single origin and all this sort of stuff. The vegan bar, and they're very niche markets. And we thought, well, if we're going to do something, what's not out there? And it was this chunky bar. I mean, the chocolate out on the shelves seems to be quite dull. A lot of the packaging. So we just said, let's if we're going to do it, let's go big. And that's where we saw the niche market for and us. I, I think it's that thing of you know if you're going to treat yourself obviously everything moderation etc cetera, etc cetera, but if you're going to treat yourself do it properly and I, I think that was definitely part of our ethos at the beginning as well I, I'm, I'm loving the fact that I'm just it's feeling so justified to eat tons of chocolate I've never <laughs> I've never felt of it as such as a positive before so thank you yeah. <laughs> um, going back to the, the our topic obviously had to stand out in a crowded market and you know the world of chocolate is a huge market so when you first had that thought process wanting to you know, create what you have. Where did you begin with your research and what type of research did you have to do beforehand? I don't know. Did you have to sample lots of chocolate? I don't know if you guys have had, and I, there's no, it's not brand specific, but there are certain types of chocolate which um, taste okay, but have a bit of an oily aftertaste or the flavours are a little bit artificial. Or, and we very much knew from the beginning that that wasn't something we wanted to do. So we, but we also found ourselves looking at things like how is the paper folded and what thickness is the foil and things that you just wouldn't think you had to think about when we were sampling different things to see where we could a make our product best it could be but also um as you say stand out and really 
um, kind of catch people's eye because part of the when you've got a new product in, as you say, a very saturated market, um, one of the main ways that you're going to catch people's attention is visually. Probably the first step in order to stand out in a crowded market is to think right at the very beginning when you're building the foundations of whatever product you're aiming to put out there and thinking about how you can make it stand out. Even the bigger companies uh, aren't thinking about let's go super indulgent here and you know make a really really a chocolate that people can sort of feel like they're treating themselves with yeah so you obviously started with that idea and started with the fact that you wanted a properly indulgent bar of chocolate what made you think that you were gonna i mean it does when you pick one of these up it's like picking up a brick they are so heavy they are i was so happy when i picked up the one you got for me paul for christmas oh i know (laughs) it really does feel like you're getting a serious slab of chocolate so there must have been all these little things did you have a list of things that you needed to have like sort of criteria right we want to make it thick we want to make it uh really bold colored we want to go for some really unusual uh ingredients well i mean what was on your shopping list when you were putting this thing together i mean i think again i think we all had different things that we kind of championed didn't we colin we had um so it was um, I, I was we were definitely quite well a few of us we, we all wanted kind of bright colors and um we knew that we wanted to be upright so i think that's something if people are thinking if you're thinking about a new product what can you do that is just like subtly different because obviously we still have to fit into your average shop's shelving 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 doesn't really vary that much from shop to shop um but most um luxury brands are portrait orientation and most cheaper brands are landscape orientation god so you know what very... i've never even thought of that yeah so we made a very deliberate decision that was again partly with our designers very deliberate decision to decide obviously our little bars are square so that you know doesn't make so much of a difference but a very deliberate decision to make our bigger bars wow. um chunkier so they're not they're more well more than double the size of some of them, but make very so that they sit in that higher end of the market. Did you notice that, Cleb? I've, I've never noticed that before. Do you know? What? I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to visualise the shop. You're now, now. Now I've told you that you'll notice. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You'll never be able to unknow that now. I know. I can see it in my mind. You think about. I mean, there's there's, there's some name dropping here. Yeah. You think about a bar of dairy milk. The text and the the, the, the graphics and everything are all mm. landscape. But yes. Like your bar of right? lint or something <laughs> like that, or your green yeah. and blacks. It's portrait. I'm thinking of lint. Yeah. So it's it's tiny things like that, and then all the way through. I mean, Colin obviously had a lot of insight into um placement in the kind of places that we wanted to sell into what stock is to buying what retailers you know what we ret- what sells at different times of year what else Cole? what else did we have we did have a long list at the beginning of things that we wanted to bring together demographic was one of the things that came up on several occasions you know even with the with the branding people who you who are you targeting and i said to be honest you we need to target everyone because chocolates for everyone it's not just i mean you know from a child to an adult they all like chocolates yeah you say that though but it does it does feel like a quite a grown-up product yes, yes it does but i think the younger generation do like we can probably boil quite a lot of what we, uh, you know, all the different specifics that we're looking at. And again, it's, you know, any, anyone who's designing something from scratch, whether it's something they're making or whether it's something they're creating in collaboration, it's um, it's a really difficult process because there's so many moving parts. But I think for us, I would say the core um, the core thing we were looking at was the experience, the final experience. So the taste, the feel in the mouth, the feel when you pick it up, that heaviness, we really wanted that, you know, like a really lovely experience that is different from what's out there. Because although there's a lot of chocolate, I don't believe there's anything out there quite like us at the moment. Let's talk about price because your product's pretty expensive. I mean, and that is quite a bold thing to do when you're putting yourself up against like a £2 bar of lint chocolate and you're charging £5 for a, a bar, which to look at, looks fairly similar i mean i know obviously once you pick it up you realize it's heavier and it's a more substantial product but then did you have a bit of a battle trying to work out how to price it we did and we didn't um so that was actually i'm really glad you brought that up and again i think pricing is probably the thing small businesses battle with the most certainly in my other businesses pricing is the the hardest conversation to have 
interestingly, that it, I mean, yes, yes, it looks expensive at first, uh, first go, but our 100 gram bars, which are similar to most of the upright bars that you'll see, are 325, which is actually not miles out per 100 grams. In fact, in some cases, some cases is cheaper than some of the uh, brands that you see. Uh, certainly in similar stockers, some of the sort of higher-end um, brands. I get what you mean, but uh, th- the thing is, visually, when you're walking into a shop and seeing your product next to someone else's, you, yes. even though your small bars might have the equivalent amount of chocolate in Ch- to one of the big bars of, of another brand, yep. uh, visually yep. it doesn't look like that. It looks like you're paying three quid for a much smaller bar of chocolate. 100%, particularly with our small bar, because that is what is the standard, what I'd call a standard or regular, whatever you want to call bar out in the market, the 80 80 gram 90 gram i mean that was a 95 to 100 gram bar that little one we could have gone big in terms of size and still had a fairly thick bar but it was a case of then looking at your production costs and everything else this would be a great episode actually claire because i think a lot of people Mm. struggle with knowing what to price how to price their product or their service yes it's a massive topic and people tend to underprice and undervalue themselves and i think sometimes when you jump up to the next level and charge more for something it gives the whole uh, product a bit more kudos because you're paying for something that is more expensive than you would normally pay so you feel like you're getting it's justifiable isn't it to pay more because you're getting more back yeah, it's, yeah. It's, exactly that's the word mm. i was looking for it's justifiable yeah just just yeah i mean i think the other thing i would pick up on there is that we knew from the beginning that we would have a two-pronged um sales strategy so our or getting product to market strategy so one is obviously um direct to consumer through a website through events that kind of thing um and the other one was always going to be through stockists through getting stocked in in shops and so we right from the beginning we had to make sure that our wholesale price um was also making us a profit um you know was whether we were correctly priced for wholesale um and then able to get that up so that our retailers were able to make what they needed and we were also able to make what we needed and I think that's something that a lot of small businesses and I've actually Mm -hmm. made that mistake in previous businesses of mine I've priced for if I'm selling it I make enough money but if I sell it to somebody else who needs to also make that money there isn't enough margin in there and I think that's a really important thing if your if your plan is to use uh, wholesale at any point I think that needs to be built in from the beginning. Uh, All this hard work that goes into creating um, a product that is completely unique um, how uh, did you ensure that you protected that? And of course, copyright is really, really important as well. So did you have to look at the copyright laws before you started creating the chocolate or how does that work? So, yeah, in this country, there's um yeah, there's there's an automatic copyright when you create something. Um, we are currently looking at trademarking, um, but mainly um, it was making sure that we so the name was a was a nightmare to come to, to find the right name, especially with four of us throwing ideas into the pool, like finding the right oh, name. That's, is really hard. Oh, tell me about it. I've been spending a year trying to come up with a name for my business business and I still oh, haven't done it it is an absolute so nightmare hard, isn't it? and then really we found hard. that for, I would say for us our, our biggest issues with, with copyright was every time we came up with a name we thought we liked this was in the kind of couple of years before obviously we launched um every time we came up with a name it was like yes that's brilliant and then someone else would have it and it was like oh, we don't, and even if it wasn't chocolate we didn't want to tread we wanted to be we wanted to be like we wanted that uniqueness you know when you were saying about creating a new product we really wanted something that was just us so okay right so that this, we've got to this point now where you've got a great product you know it's great you can't wait for people to try it um two questions come up well one may obviously then you've got to start getting it into retailers and get people to stock it uh, but the second problem i think is how do you get persuade someone to spend five pounds on a bar of chocolate when they haven't tasted it yet good question i think i mean our initial i mean our initial launch it last when we did launch actually was a very um very much online and i'll put that down um, a lot of it down to carla because she did a lot of groundwork with her networking and the other side was then just getting out 
getting out to the retail and that's that's the footage foot miles what do you want to call it knocking going around taking the samples out taking tasters out and then convincing the retailer to put it on their shelf um on on tasting your bar and and buying into your product really that's the that was the next stage and that and that's the that's the key to us now is really is that is the tasting and and to be honest this last year Having gone, I mean, we obviously had a lot of a fair number of stockists on board. I mean, I think we're in excess of 100 stockists now. Taste is really important. So I guess, is that kind of where you get into the point of persuading people to stock it for you? Is that, do you go on the taste side? How do you approach people? Uh, how do you approach stockists? Uh, you know, which angle do you take? How does how does that whole process work for you? What we did choose early and, and at this stage is we were only targeting independent retailers so it, it helped us to pick this the sectors we were working with so we've specified going into things like a farm shop a garden center a high-end deli somewhere where a five pound bar of chocolate wouldn't necessarily look out of place completely on a I suppose a tesco shelf um so that made it a little bit easier and a lot of the a lot of the independents love new products i was gonna say how on earth do you keep track of all of this so you you said before you've got a hundred um in excess of a hundred stockists and then you've got your events, you've got people, you know, maybe sort of ad hoc coming and tasting the chocolate. Um, how on earth do you begin to monitor each, you know, each stockist, um, how, how the product has moved through their their shop or, you know, how, how, where do you start? And, and what would you do if you notice a real dip? I mean, what, what would be the way that you would deal with that? We didn't want to set up systems that were excessively complicated when we were small we was more of the focus on you know getting to market getting out um getting the products ready and out um but i think there i think it's really important to start using systems before you need them so things just things like a, maybe a crm database or i mean we've got spreadsheets at the moment which are working but at some point you might need and um, we've got an inventory management system um it's actually just square that runs and um, so it, it um the back end of square and then it also runs across our website and then we've also got um payment terminals that um go out to our events with us um, and that means that it if something sells so if we sell out of something at an event it can't then be sold on the website it tracks everything across and that we set up right from the very beginning more complicated than we probably needed right at the beginning but i i knew from my own um, my own other businesses my own previous businesses as well that actually the worst possible case scenario is that you're out you've got three separate events on the same weekend and then someone does a big order on the website and then actually you can't fulfill that obviously with chocolate we can make things to order but i wanted to try and mitigate that right from the beginning so i'm um, looking for the system that does the thing you and need. also it's good to future proof isn't it because i'm a, obviously you you guys want to grow um so if you've got that system in place which caters for um a bigger audience and a, a bigger stack yes. of chocolate yes. then you, you, you're already set and that, you? and that was the plan is that what, what i definitely didn't want was for us to get bigger and then um and again this is a mistake i've made before it's something i think is very easy to do with small businesses you muddle along doing what you need to do um in the beginning and then you have to change your system because you've suddenly got bigger and then it's a massive pain to change so we want i wanted something that would work right from the beginning can i ask does it feel like a year not really to be honest no it, it i mean if, if i suppose when you look at it, it it's, it's the exciting thing is just year on year now, really, just is trying to get the growth, trying to get to find new product. I suppose when I look at that, I say 100 customers, there's a number out there, I'll be honest with you, it hasn't quite worked for them for several reasons. Either it's not location, could be price for their shops. It's just the type of shop. Um, but in general, the shops that have got it and, and uh, we have had virtually reorders from 80 
odd percent of them. And it's not going to work for everyone, is it? I mean, it's not going to be a right fit for everyone. And, and that's OK, because that allows you to filter down what you're doing and thinking, right, it's not right for that person because of this reason. It's not necessarily because your product's rubbish. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's, I think it's also really good to... Um, it, for us, it's been a really good learning experience. You know, we were fairly sure of our market, but it's been really interesting to see where it hasn't worked, almost more so than where it has, because where we've been proved right, it's like, well, that's great. And then where there's, there's, you know, it helps us to then refine um, either our approach or where we're going or the way that we work with those kinds of retailers. Or there's, there's lots of things we can then learn from that to grow as a business, which has been really interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, actually. This has come up before, Paul, hasn't it? With um, identifying patterns and trends mm. and you know, when you see that something's working, you can do more of it. But then at the same time, if you don't try new things, how do you ever know if they're going to work? So it's a yeah, good attitude to have. Sorry if there was a bit of a bang there, by the way. My dog just fell off the chair behind me. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, I don't know if you caught that or not. No, um, I, I didn't, didn't hear it, actually. But um... It was quite loud. OK, uh, so you've, you've shared so much and you've come so far in such a small space of time. Um, could you maybe highlight maybe the top three tips that you would share uh, to people maybe who are listening, who maybe are thinking of creating their own product or, or, or their own brand. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. Don't, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Is that what you said? <laughs> my, my tip would be follow your heart. Follow your heart. If you believe, but be aware of costs. Costs are a killer. So if, if you may have a wonderful product or a wonderful idea, but please cost it out properly, because if you don't cost it out properly, you're going to fail. If you're just going to purely retail it for yourself, then that's a different matter. But if you're thinking of stages of either distributing it, retailing it, or going on to other, you've got to give margins to people. And you've got to look at this product and say, well, hold on, this cost me a pound to make. Can it sell for six pounds? And if it can't, you've got to rethink what you're, you're planning. But That's a really good answer. That's a great answer. Uh, do you want to pitch in with one more, Carla? I was going to say, so mine is, is um, if you are going to uh, start a business, particularly if you're going to create a product, um, you must remember there's going to be a little bit of your soul in it. So you need to make sure you're tough enough to take both good and bad feedback. Uh, it's not personal, but it kind of is personal because you're sending a little bit of yourself into the world. Um, but to make something that you really believe in, because I think with all businesses, as much as it is the best thing I've ever done and I am never going back to a proper job, um, <laughs> there will be good and bad days. And so you have to believe in it and love it enough to um, do it even on the bad days. And you have to get, you have to believe in it enough to be okay with talking about it far more than you think is appropriate. When you're having a conversation with someone about your business and they start to glaze over, keep talking. Yes. Yes, pretty much. No, not to, yes, not, not, not to become that person that you say it and they turn away from you at a party. But I think to, to just believe it in enough that you can talk about it genuinely. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Chocolate's a pretty easy conversation to have though, to be fair. I am a much more popular dinner guest since I started Tempered. Like I'm everyone, yeah, it's funny that. And it has to be said that um, I know we're going to come and pay a visit and actually see it all working and maybe take a little bit of video for the uh, website and stuff but it really does taste incredible and not only does it taste incredible it leaves a lovely little taste afterwards as well which is slightly different which you don't get with other chocolate and that's a that's a real real good uh, plus point rob will be thrilled to hear that because that was definitely what we were aiming for yeah so we like to finish off uh, every episode with a set of questions that are pretty much the same questions all the time inspired by a us tv show called inside the actor's studio i'm looking at the questions now claire and i'm thinking i could almost answer some of these on behalf of them already i, I was <laughs> I was just about to say, I know the answers. (laughs) But let's see how we go and see if you surprise us maybe with an answer that isn't quite obvious. Okay, so uh, what is your favourite chocolate bar apart from your own? That is such a hard question because I just love chocolate. I love chocolate too. And if I'm honest, I I do like a plain dairy milk chocolate, Cadbury. I I do have a fondness for Milka, 
um but i i have been ruined slightly by our chocolate because it's it's very very sweet and i love the sweetness but now i eat more of our chocolate now i eat more tempered chocolate i i do find it maybe a little bit too sweet um but there's a definite there's a there's a nostalgic quality to milka i'd say but yeah so that's a that's a hard one because there's very little chocolate that i won't eat it's, there's very little chocolate <laughs> i don't like so <laughs> uh, okay right so let's do this then uh, what's your favorite word Colin. Pappy. Pappy's a great word. Love that. Yeah, good word. Normally we have this thing where if someone comes out with a really great word, we have to stop the podcast, shut down and write it down because mm. it's, you know, uh, what we, we love a really great word. We haven't had one this episode, but I like happy, Colin. That's good. What about you, Carla? My my favourite word is actually the same as what my dad's favourite word yeah. was, and it's obfuscate. It, it's what, sorry? Obfuscate. It Obf- means to... Obfuscate. It, yeah, it means to um <laughs> to hide something, to make something not obvious to to keep. And it's just, I don't, it's not like the meaning. I just, I just love how it sounds. I love how it feels. I'm an English grad. I love words. I'm obsessed with words. So That's a great, can you put it into context for us? I knew you were going to ask that and I should have prepared something, <laughs> shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> we, need a, we need a sentence. If you ask a question and you need a straightforward answer um, and someone's trying to hide something, the answer might be obfuscated. Still not as good as pamphlet or spatula. They're still great words. Or uh, meringue, Claire. That's, oh, that's an excellent okay. word. Yeah. What, yes. So what's your least favourite word? Um, my current favourite word isn't even really a real word. It's hollybobs. Um, and I can't work out if it's because I'm not keen on shortening things or if it's because I'm just jealous because I haven't been on holiday for two years because of the holly- pandemic. Oh, hollybobs. Yeah, yeah. I've just realised what you meant. Yeah, so I've, I've had a few people talk about going off on their hollybobs and I'm currently not going anywhere on, on holiday or holly bobs or any of the other so it's not fair that they're going on their holly bobs is it carla no so i can't work out it's, it's, it's not a word i've had particular aversion to you before but when you asked me that was what came into my head so i think maybe there's a jealousy aspect going on i think i've word. got the same word as you now carla <laughs> if you're going to shorten a word shorten yeah. it actually what that doesn't shorten the word at all it actually makes it longer well it just makes it longer and yeah exactly I've made, maybe it's that i'm not sure but that, that was my instinctive response to that so one of my favorite made-up words is Car perpetuate. Have you heard of this? Oh, no, I don't think I have. You know when What's you're doing that? the hoovering at home and there's like a little bit of cotton or a little bit of lint or something <laughs> on, on the carpet and you, you hoover it up, but the carpet, the, the hoover doesn't get it up. Oh. So what you do then is you, you pick it up with your fingers and you investigate it and have a look at it. And then rather than just put it in the bin like that, you put it back on the floor and give it another <laughs> that, go with a hoover. Do you know what? That is so true. I did that yesterday. I, do you know what? I actually, I've never thought of that, but I do do that quite often. That's yeah. hilarious. That's car perpetuate. Wow. Love a good word. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, I've lost my voice. <clears throat> Let's start that again. Okay, uh, it's been a pleasure to speak to you both um, for this episode and you've shared so many golden nuggets and it's been wonderful to hear your experience, especially as you have achieved so much in such a small space of time. So if people would like to find out more about you or indeed uh, purchase some of your chocolate, where should they go? How can they find you? So um, thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, I hope that we've been helpful. Um, I hope that's been, there's been nuggets nuggets of usefulness um, in, our, in our chat. Um, if you would like to uh, buy some chocolate, find some chocolate, um, uh, you can find us online at tempered.co.uk, which is spelled T-E-M-P-R-D.co.uk. Uh, we are on social media everywhere, mainly on Instagram, but also uh, Facebook and Twitter as at Perfectly Tempered. Again, same spelling of Tempered. Um, and we have stockists all over the place, and I'm just about to update our stockist list um, this coming week. This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. I really loved their attitude when they were talking about how they've just followed their vision and they've stuck to their guns and they've just kept going. 
and they're learning all the time and we've talked about this before about the importance of listening getting feedback they're absorbing the information they're doing the right activity and they're adapting continuously all the time and they're so early in their journey that you know that's an incredibly important quality to have and like Carla said to us uh, once we finished recording actually she said to us that even though they're less than about a year old uh, they're actually about three years old because the the first two years were spent researching the product and they didn't actually launch until they were into their second year um uh, or almost sort of starting their third year so that's really interesting to see that they've spent two years doing all the research before they hit the go button and i think that's probably the biggest lesson that you can learn from that conversation um with tempered chocolate is how much research that goes into making sure that you're hitting a, a huge market with a product that stands out and is very, very different. And that's all in the research. Yeah, we, and we've talked about the planning, the thought process behind it before, and this just reinforced the fact that, you know, think about it, really think about it and take your time to get it right prior to launching. And so then you won't come unstuck and then be continuously chasing your tail and trying to cover up cover up the problems as they happen of course you will get challenges but the more preparation and research and lots of research and research again you do is going to stand you in the best possible position when you come to launch you can go back to an episode we did um i think it was the beginning of last year with brett sanders who uh, was part of the team developing uh, a natural deodorant product uh, which they developed a sort of at home him and his wife originally uh, and they've won awards for this product and we had him on mm. the podcast didn't we and he said pretty mm-hmm. much the same thing that actually once we dis- once they discovered that there was a product they wanted to um, produce and sell, they had to then do the research and see, well, how does this work and what other things are there out there on the market that are similar and how can we make ours different? Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and again, it comes down to being unique and how do you stand out from the crowd? You're look, looking what's available, looking what gaps there are and um, planting the seed and then running with those ideas. And kudos to Tempered for... Uh, coming up with such a great product and really thinking mm. about how they do it and that that's why they're so successful in such a short space of time brilliant my birthday's in the summer by the way i'd like to try another <laughs> flavor <laughs> well i'm sure if you ask them nicely they might send you some no i'm asking you well anyway look that pretty much wraps it up but we've okay. got one more thing to do do you want to introduce dean so we are being joined again by dean fox who's going to be sharing one of his inspirational stories with us that as you know I love and his voice is incredible but most importantly the message behind what he says always makes so much sense. In business rejection is something we all experience but it's also something that many people try and avoid. I was going through some old photos just recently and I came across some of my family when we were visiting Disney World in Florida as many of people will know, it's a magical place. Um, And it's actually the most visited vacation resort in the world. But it nearly never happened. Walt Disney was rejected for finance for that particular venture over 300 times. Just imagine that, being rejected 300 times before he eventually succeeded and went on to develop a facility that would be visited by more than 58 million people a year. Just think about that for a second. See, that's one of the key differences, I believe, between those who are successful and those who aren't. An unwavering belief in their dreams and a resilience to keep going after them, no matter what. 
So be like Disney. Never give up on your dreams. You never know where they're going to take you. Thank you to Dean. More wise words from him. If you want to find out more about Dean, then obviously travel to our website, biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk. And that pretty much wraps it up for this week. We're all done here. Thank you very much to Tempered. Thank you very much to Dean. And um, don't forget, if you want to continue the conversation about chocolate or anything else for that matter, then you can come and find us on the socials. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And obviously you can find all our back episodes at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk. And we're done. Say goodbye, Claire. Bye-bye. The Beat. You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show. Big Little Business Show.